Hello everybody, this is the eighth sermon in our series looking at the book of Acts. Today we are in Acts 16, beginning at verse 16 through to the end of the chapter. And the topic this week is developing good habits for a crisis. January the 15th, 2009 was a day people will never forget in New York. At 15.26, flight 1549, an Airbus A320, took off, heading for North Carolina. The captain, Chesley Sullenberger III, known as Sully, had done all the pre-flight checks and found everything to be okay. It should have been a regular flight. However, just two minutes after takeoff, the plane hit a flock of Canadian geese, badly damaging both engines. The plane was left in a perilous position just as it headed over the Bronx, one of the most densely populated parts of the city. In an instant, Sully had to make a decision. Where was he going to land? He could not return to the airport. He could not land on a road full of cars. And the thought of crashing into buildings was horrendous. Hundreds would be killed. In that split second, he realised he had just one option – He must try to land on the Hudson River. Apparently, crash landing into water is a very difficult thing to do. One mistake and the plane will flip, break up and sink. Sully was left with approximately three minutes to get it perfect. I'm no aviator, but just listen to what he had to do in that time. He had to shut down the engines. He had to set the right speed so the plane could glide for as long as possible without power. He had to disconnect the autopilot and override the flight management system. He had to seal all the valves and vents to make the plane waterproof. He had to glide the plane in a steep left-hand bend so that it landed following the flow of the river. He then had to keep the plane exactly level so it landed flat on the water. Amazingly, he and the co-pilot did it. But that was still not the end. Sully walked up and down the aisle several times to ensure all the passengers had safely got off. And then once in a life raft himself, he took off his shirt and gave it to someone who was cold. Now, some would say that was a miracle. And in a way it was. But importantly, it was also the product of something else. Practice. Like all pilots, Sully had practiced in a simulator so many times this calm, considered behaviour, just doing the right thing at just the right time, was like second nature to him. In all his flying, he had honed his skills. Good habits and strong character had developed from hours of work and attention. He was not born with this ability, he developed it. And God used it that day to save many lives. When we read this story in Acts, we can be tempted to think of Paul and Silas in the same way that we think of Captain Sully. That their behaviour was utterly miraculous and therefore beyond us lesser mortals. In the heat of great opposition, when their world was literally shaking around them, they instinctively behaved in ways that resulted in saving the Philippian jailer's life and eventually the whole of his family coming to faith. 
But the truth is, everything that Paul and Silas did in that awful prison cell was very human. There was no superhero strength deployed, no miraculous healings, and definitely no magic. Yes, God had his part to play in sending the earthquake, but Paul and Silas's behaviour came from good habits and strong character that they had already developed. Good habits that God used to work the miracle of salvation. In this sermon, we're going to think about what those habits were and how we can develop them today. But before we do, there's one more thing that needs to be said. Over the last few weeks in Acts, we have seen the opposition that believers can face when they seek to share the gospel. This is just reality. As Christians, we do not become immune to suffering. Sometimes we suffer precisely because of our faith. Bad things do happen to good people. In this reading, we see the work of evil in several forms. There is the evil spirit that torments the life of the poor slave girl. There is the love of money that sets the owners of the girl against Paul and Silas, even when they have just released her from her torment. And there is the evil of oppressive systems and structures in society, where even those meant to keep order and protect citizens actively work against Christians. In this world, we will encounter evil. This virus is an example of all that is wrong with the world, all that opposes human beings and makes them suffer. Yet the promise of the Bible is that we will not have to face these struggles alone. God will never abandon us. He has the goodness to give us all we need to see us through and the power to turn moments of great challenge into opportunities for witness. We as Christians need to expect trouble in life and therefore be developing the good habits that we will need when it comes. In this reading, there are four things that Paul and Silas do instinctively in a time of trial. And like Captain Sully, we would do well to practice these today. The first habit we see is that when Paul and Silas are suffering, they continue to praise God. After being seized for releasing the slave girl of her evil spirit, Paul and Silas were stripped, beaten, thrown into prison and fastened in stocks. This meant a very uncomfortable night lay ahead as they constantly twisted their bruised and battered bodies trying to avoid cramp and further discomfort. It would have been understandable if they'd been consumed with misery, despondency and complaint But that was not the case at all. Let's hear verse 25 again. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Notice that Paul and Silas were praying and singing before there was any sign of their rescue. That is very important. It shows us that they have learnt the behaviour of turning to God in their time of need, not turning away. Difficult as we may find it, singing songs in the night of suffering is actually a common response of believers down through the ages. 
Think of the spirituals slaves sang on the plantations. Think of hymns sung at gravesides. Think of the Chinese Christians today who are known for singing in their prison cells. But all this began, of course, with the Psalms. So many of the Psalms were written from the depths of despair. And this is where Paul and Silas would have learnt the habit from. Even Jesus turned to the Psalms when he was hanging from the cross. Why is it so important that we continue to praise even in difficult times? Well, songs help us to focus on eternal realities, like the goodness and love of God, even when they are clouded by the gloominess of our temporary present. Songs give us the words to pray when our own have been taken away. Songs help the truth that we know about God to travel down from our head to our heart when our emotions are wavering. They bring God's word to bear on our subjective feelings and keep us going. Continuing to praise God in times of difficulty is so helpful. It lifts our eyes up from our troubles and onto God, our only source of hope and strength. In this situation, the prayer and the songs do not just keep Paul and Silas going when they could so easily have faltered. They inspire the other prisoners who were listening to them. And we will see just how much in a moment. So how do we develop this habit? How do we practice this as our current crisis drags on? We do it by making the effort to pray daily in our homes and to gather to praise on a Sunday. Our worship here doesn't just encourage one another in this room. The open church is a witness of hope and faith to the Isla community. The second habit that we see Paul and Silas have developed is to portray the gospel whenever possible in their actions. They have learnt to live a life that looks like Jesus. If praising God is about enabling his truth to take root in our heart, the ultimate outcome is that we realise that we are safe in God's hands and therefore we no longer have to focus solely on ourselves we can start to portray God's generosity to others, even when we are up against it. In the middle of the night, a violent earthquake shakes the prison, releasing Paul and Silas's shackles and breaking the doors to the cell open. You can say it's a coincidence, or you can accept, like many Christians have, that coincidences seem to happen when God's people earnestly seek him in prayer. But what happens next is not what we might have expected. Rather than charging out of the prison to seek their own safety, Paul and Silas have the presence of mind to remain where they were. This is why I use that opening illustration about Sully the pilot. Paul and Silas react to a very disturbing, emotional, sense-scrambling situation with such composure. They instinctively know how to behave in an event they could never have expected. Why is it significant they stayed behind? It's because if they had fled, the jailer would have been killed. 
We know from Acts 12 that Roman prison guards were executed in the place of escaped prisoners. Not only would the jailer have died, it would have brought great shame upon his family. That is why we find him sword drawn on the verge of suicide when he thinks the prisoners are gone. But incredibly, Paul and Silas have decided to stay. And not only them, but all the other prisoners too. Presumably because they've been so impacted by Paul and Silas's continual praise through what was a terrible ordeal. What we have in this moment then is Paul and Silas giving up their own personal freedom to save the life of the jailer. What could be a more vivid depiction of how Christ acted for us on the cross than that? It is an action of such power that even before Paul and Silas have chance to say anything, the jailer is on his knees before them, imploring them to tell him how he could be saved by their God. Actions speak louder than words. And as Christians, we would do well to remember that. But to instinctively behave like this in the heat of a crisis requires much practice beforehand for it to become second nature to us. In this crisis, we've had many opportunities to portray the gospel in the way that we have practically assisted members of our community. As the days go on, if we continue to go out of our way to show concern for others, in little ways, like phoning them for company and collecting their shopping, it will have a great impact upon them and also be developing us into people more like Jesus. We have just said that actions often speak louder than words, but still on their own, actions are rarely enough. We still have to proclaim the reason for our faith. That is what we see next in the story. As soon as the opportunity presents itself, Paul and Silas know what to say to lead the jailer to Jesus. They've shared the gospel so many times, it's become a habit to them. The jailer wanted to know what he must do to be saved. Paul and Silas tell him that he need do nothing. For the Lord Jesus has already done it through the cross and resurrection. All he must do is believe in Jesus. On hearing this, the jailer comes to faith. And not only him, but his whole family believe in the Lord and are baptised. What began as a tragic injustice is now a scene of great joy. The sovereign Lord has turned another bad situation for good. We all find it difficult to share our faith at times, but we will only improve by doing it. If we start to put Jesus into our conversations, it will eventually become second nature. One day, someone might ask us the reason for our faith. If we have developed the habit before that day comes, our answer will be more succinct and effective. In times of great difficulty, particularly when people fear for their lives, openings come to share the gospel. As this crisis continues, let us keep looking for opportunities to share the hope we have in Jesus with the family, friends and colleagues about us. 
The final instinct we see that Paul and Silas have developed is to protect other believers. Our passage ends in a slightly strange way. The message comes from the magistrates to release Paul and Silas, but rather than leaving quietly, they protest their innocence. They make it clear that they want to be publicly vindicated before the whole city. Why do they do this? Well, it does not say exactly, but we get the idea that if they hadn't, a dangerous precedent for the future treatment of the church would have been set. Their brothers and sisters in Philippi could have been left exposed to further acts of abuse from those in power. Whereas the public apology increased the standing of the church and protected the believers from going through what Paul and Silas did. We see again Paul and Silas's care for the newly converted Christians in the city by the way they immediately go back to Lydia's house to encourage them as well. Again, this is an instinct that needed to have been developed. Our initial reaction on being told we were free from jail would probably have been to scarper as fast as we could. But Paul and Silas chose in that moment to protect their fellow believers, ultimately allowing gospel witness to go on once they themselves had left Philippi. We too need to develop this habit of protecting one another. This may be through speaking well of each other, it may be by giving advice or practical assistance. Through this crisis, it definitely is following the guidelines and wearing masks in church to keep each other safe, no matter how frustrating those restrictions may be. As we come to the end of this exciting passage, I hope we can see the message I felt led to share. As Christians, we will come across times of opposition. Evil, though defeated, is still at work in the world. But how we respond in those times of opposition will depend on the habits and character we have developed in our lives in the days before. The actions of Captain Sully saved the lives of hundreds the actions of Paul and Silas saved the lives of the Philippian jailer and his family. Who knows how God would be able to use us in the difficult days ahead if we prepared ourselves in the right way. Let us try to practice these four habits. Praising God in difficult times. Portraying the gospel in our actions. Proclaiming the gospel with words of testimony, and protecting the church whenever we can. In this crisis, we will have many opportunities to practice, and we pray God will work to bring other lives to him.